Besties, I'm here to interrupt the intro to this podcast as I have a super special offer for you I don't want you to miss. The Badass Book Besties is my super special membership that I am literally obsessed with. So if you're new here and haven't heard of it just yet, let me spill the tea, which is a lot better than spilling the beer. Am I right? (laughs) The Badass Book Besties is dedicated to encouraging a conversation around a love of books and learning so that you can make new friends and expand your thinking. Inside of our membership, you will have access to intellectual conversation, badass women who will later become your badass besties, and fun bookish gifts you'll receive on a quarterly basis to excite your book-loving heart. There are two options for a book club. You can join the Reads Well with Others book club, which reads fiction and nonfiction novels written by women, as they are the best authors, of course, and meetings are held twice a month on the second and fourth Thursday. You can also join the Lotus Academy book club, which is a transformational self-help book club dedicated to changing and transforming your mindset, helping you reach your goals, and connecting you with others through amazing conversation around self-improvement. You're also paired with a book bestie if you so choose to keep you accountable on a weekly basis and meetings are held once a month. You can join both book clubs or just one. It's totally up to you. But one of my favorite parts about this membership is the quarterly curated badass box, which features amazing female-owned businesses, gently used books curated to your tastes, bookish gifts, and more. But my friends, right now you can get the Badass Book Besties membership for just $17 a month. Prices go up on March 1st, but if you hear this message after this date, send me a DM on Instagram and I will honor that price. My name is Badass Book Bestie. And on Instagram, and all you have to do is send me the word podcast, and I will honor the savings deal for you. Prices will go up to $27, so be sure to sign up ASAP, girlfriend. I don't want you to miss out. Again, on Instagram, I am badassbookbestie, B-E-S-T-I-E, and send me the word podcast, and I'll make sure to honor that savings deal for you. We are ready and waiting for you to transform your life and join us. So see you inside the membership at badassbook bookbesties.com. Again, that's badassbookbesties.com. Now, back to your regularly scheduled badassery. Hey besties, welcome to the Living Your Most Badass Life podcast, where our mission is to transform your life and help you become the most phenomenal woman you're meant to be. I'm Brianna, the founder of the Badass Book Besties, where we encourage a conversation around a love of books and learning so that you can make new friends and expand your thinking. I'm a lover of books, beers, traveling, and motivating women to live their dream life. Each week on this podcast, you'll be motivated and empowered to make positive changes in your life through intellectual conversations and interviews, how-to ideas, and insight from a variety of books. We celebrate the incredible and simple accomplishments women make every day. To be a badass woman means to be awesome, impressive, and worthy of admiration. So my goal is to help you see your true worth and build your self-confidence. If you're someone who wishes to be inspired by other women doing extraordinary things and want to be encouraged to live your most badass life, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, and welcome to the Living Your Most Badass Life podcast. We are in the month of February, which is the month of love, and I am here with the relationship expert. Welcome, Dr. Marissa T. Cohen. 
Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here. Dr. Marissa T. Cohen is a relationship scientist, marriage and family therapist, and teaches college-level psychology courses. She is also the author of From First Kissed to Forever, A Scientific Approach to Love, a book that relates relationship science research to everyday experiences and real relationship issues confronted by couples. She is passionate about discovering and sharing important relationship research from the field and has given guest lectures at locations including the 92nd Street Y, Strand Bookstore, and the New York Hall of Science. She is also a 2021 TEDx speaker, has appeared in segments for Newsweek, and is the subject of a piece focusing on her work, which aired on Brick TV. She has also appeared on many podcasts and radio shows to discuss the psychology of love and ways in which we can improve our relationships. Fantastic. I'm so excited to have you here. And I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for asking me on your podcast. Yes. And the first question I always like to ask my guests is what makes you your most badass self? I love this question. Um, So I'm going to say I'm badass because I'm both a very passionate person and also compassionate. So Mm. passionate about what I do both for my work and in my personal life. And I'm also compassionate for those people that I work with and who I'm connected to. I think it's so important in your field to be compassionate because when you're meeting such a variety of different people, you really want to make sure that you treat them with the most care that you can. So I I really think that's a, a great thing to be in your field. Exactly, exactly. And I am so fortunate to have a broad range of clients. I see all types of individuals, couples, and families, and there's just so much that I can learn from all of them and all of their lived experiences and the diversity of their lived experiences. And especially where you live in New York City, there's an amazing amount of diversity. So I think it's the perfect place to be in your field because then you get an opportunity to meet so many different people. Exactly, exactly. And one thing that was actually a good thing, if there was a good thing that came from the pandemic is, you know, now in this age of telehealth, it really Mm. can expand our reach. So before where I might have been um, limited to, you know, people just in my small, like geographic, you know, location, now I can kind of see clients from all over New York state, which is really, really wonderful. That is so cool. And do you think that's what you're most passionate about is the ability to meet a diverse group of people? Or do you think it's more in the field that you're in or really a mixture of the two? I think it's a mixture of the two. So I come from um, higher ed. I was a full-time associate professor of psychology and I had a relationship science lab. So I used to be on the academic side of relationships and now I'm really focused on the clinical side of relationships. Mm. So I'm really, really passionate about learning from people, learning about their relationships. What are some of the things that they struggle with? What are some of their greatest success stories? And being able to explain relationship science research and take important studies from the field and help couples apply it to their everyday lives so that they can strengthen their partnerships. I love that. And I love that you are doing something that 
people truly need because there's so many different relationships that fail for different reasons. And to just have that resource of making things work in the best way possible, I think is a fantastic thing. And, you know, because there's all those statistics that are like 50% of people divorce. And I'm also like, yeah, but 50% of people make it, you know? (laughs) And so you think of, well, let's, let's look at both sides of the picture. And so in your field, what inspired you to, you know, leave the educational space and open up your own practice? So it kind of started through my lab and um, it was called the self-awareness and bonding lab. And it was focused on, you know, what makes some relationships successful and why. So we did a whole bunch of different academic studies and I started by presenting in academic conference circles. And after a while, I became really interested in what is the application of this research? Like, how can we distill key points and takeaway messages and help couples improve their communication, improve Mm -hmm. their, you know, intimacy, emotional or physical intimacy. And I started to do more outreach to the community. I was doing talks at bookstores, at bars, um, like, you know, at the Hall of Science. So I started to get involved in a lot of different, like, community-based relationship-related projects. And from that, that's where, like, you know, this kind of cultivated my desire to want to work directly with people. And it also didn't help that, you know, it also didn't hurt that I had a lot of people would come up to me after my my talks and say, you know, can I work with you? And at that point, Mm -hmm. I wasn't a clinician. So I actually uh, went back and took all of the courses that I would need to kind of transition from that academic side to the clinical side and start my practice. And I think that's such a great way that you segued from one thing to another, because first you started speaking at these events and then people started coming to you asking for help. And that's how they say a lot of self-made businesses start is people just coming to someone and saying, oh, you do this, please help me, please help me, please help me. And then eventually you say, hey, I have a lot of people that are seeking help in this. I think I should do something with it. So I love that. Exactly. It's It's about identifying a need. And, you know, I think that, you know, in the relationship space too often people can get kind of siloed where you might have these amazing academic studies with the, you know, statistics and a lot of important information, but it isn't necessarily explained in an application type of way. And mm-hmm. then you have a lot of clinicians who may be really, really skilled with the interventions that they're using with couples, but they may not, you know, out of grad school be as, you know, focused on the research behind the interventions that they're using, why they work, how they work. Mm-hmm. And I kind of identified there was like this need for a crossover to kind of marry both different angles. And that's kind of the space that I'm living in. And And, you know, I call myself a relationship scientist because I am doing both the clinical and the academic pieces. And it's, it's really, it's something I'm very passionate about. And I think it's important to share that as well, because sometimes with any sort of therapy session or a, an ability to give advice or different things to try in a relationship it's also important to see why it will work because you can say all day, well, just try this, try, try this. But then the person needs to hear, well, here's why it will work. So give this a chance in order to see a difference in your relationship. So do you have any thing that immediately comes to mind that you teach in your practice to say like, this is not necessarily a tried and true method, but something that you always recommend 
that a couple should do? Yes. Um, well, I just want to make a comment on like what you were saying is so, so, so true is that there is so much value for evidence-based work. However, yes. the one thing that I will say is that there's a lot of individual differences, you know, mm-hmm. from one person to the next, from one couple to the next. So just because something has been shown to work with maybe a, you know, sample in a study doesn't necessarily mean that it will work for that particular couple. So that's why it's really, really important to have a clinician if you are in couples therapy or individual therapy, that they're not just, you know, coming from, you know, this is what works, you must do this. It's really a give and take of these are some methods that you might use. Here are some helpful interventions, approaches, what have you, but also someone who's really listening to the clients and understanding what their needs are. Because at the end of the day, even if there's like some sort of successful intervention or approach, if it's not something that the individual or couple sees as valuable and something that they will easily be able to apply in their everyday lives, they're not going to do it. So it's about helping clients kind of identifying the solutions that work for them and helping them implement those solutions while also being able to pepper in the psychoeducation when it's available. But um, to that point, you know, one of the things that I work with, um, you know, I am both an attachment-based researcher. So I focus a lot on attachment styles Mm. and I also am, I've taken level levels one and two of, you know, the Gottman method. And John Gottman and Julie Gottman, they are an incredible team, uh, Gottman Institute out of Seattle, Washington. And, uh, you know, John Gottman is a researcher, Julie Gottman is a clinician, and they kind of, you know, do exactly, you know, where I want to be, which is kind of bringing both sides of the house together. And, you know, one of the things that they really talk about is the differences that couples that are successful and the couples that, you know, maybe headed towards, you know, breakup or dissolution of the relationship. And, you know, research study after research study has shown that anything that is negative is so much more salient than the positive. So think about this, um, you know, in your everyday life, if, you are having a conversation with a friend and they tell you a whole bunch of positive things and they make, you know, maybe some offhand remark about like, oh, really? You chose to wear that today? That's going to be the thing that kind of sticks out in your mind. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the thing that kind of lives with you, which is so unfortunate. And, you know, they talk about, you know, couples that are headed to, you know, divorce or separation there is um, a ratio of positive to negative of 0.8 to one. So there's a little bit more negative in terms of their communication and interactions and there is positive. Hmm. In order to just stay together, the ratio needs to be five to one positive to negative and successful couples, successful, have a ratio of 20 to one positive to negative. So that's something that I talk about with a lot of my couples, because, you know, when we get into a disagreement, sometimes we have these patterns that we've formed over time, you know, maybe from our our family or previous relationships. And, you know, we know how to like, quote unquote, win an argument. And we might sometimes fight dirty, which can be really, really Mm -hmm. problematic. So that one critical statement, that one thing that we do just to kind of like, you know, get under our partner's skin, and maybe we're coming from a place of hurt. That one thing 
now needs to be counteracted with 20 positive but authentically positive things just to kind of even out. And that that's a tall order. So paying attention to the way in which you communicate with your partner, the way in which you interact, and you know, if criticism rears its ugly head, you know, that that's something that I find really, really helpful for couples to understand, both that psychoeducation piece and then working with them in real time to kind of point out some of the communication patterns that I'm seeing. And of course you would have to make sure that each person has a lot of honesty behind that. So do you have them kind of write down the things that they say and do just to confirm it? Because I think that for some people, they don't see that they are the issue. They might think that they are being positive or they might not think that their language is really expressing something negative. So do you have them write down the things that they say or kind of journal out that process or just do you base it on what they talk about in the session? For sure. And that is such a great question. Um, you know, there is a, a little bit of a self-serving bias mm-hmm. <laughs> where yeah. kind of we kind of view ourselves, um, you know, maybe as presenting as better. We might not notice our flaws when it comes to communication, where maybe it's always the other person's fault. And, you know, without that self-awareness, it's really, really hard to identify patterns and change the behavior. So, you know, sometimes I will have couples, I, you know, I don't personally, you know, every clinician is different. Mm -hmm. I don't personally assign homework between sessions, unless it's something that is organic and comes from the discussion. So if we're having this like really interesting conversation and, you know, people are processing things, I might have them between sessions, you know, journal their thoughts or kind of reflect on something and then come back ready, fresh with the next session to just pick right up from where we left off and like, you know, what their thoughts were in between that time. But usually what I find the most helpful is if couples can bring up like a hot button issue, something that they have, you know, trouble and maybe a perpetual problem in their relationship that comes up time and time again, and just having them actually talk that out in session is one of the most helpful things because then they're having a disagreement in real time and it's remarkable how they will forget that I'm there. You know, I just kind of like go into the background and they are really interacting in the true way in which they communicate with one another and being able to see that and slow down the argument and really like break it up where I will interject and point out for them what I'm seeing as the outside observer and maybe just have them reframe the way they're thinking about what their partner's saying or rephrase what they're saying to their partner. That is one of the most powerful things. Oh, I absolutely agree because sometimes I have found myself, if you are just talking with your partner with nobody else listening, you talk to them in one way, but as soon as you are in front of someone else, you suddenly recognize the things that you might not or should not be saying Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. you just kind of have like, you know, that someone's watching, watching you. And so I've kind of had that experience where I'm like, oh, well, I, I didn't, oh, that sounds kind of nasty to say it that way, or you just kind of think differently about what you're saying. And when you are working with couples and you come across, of course, if they come to therapy or they come to your sessions, they obviously want the help, but have you ever had situations where one of the partners really 
was resistant to the sessions or really was resistant to change and made it kind of a difficult process? Or have most of the couples really been ready to work on it and make the change happen, you know, and make the relationship better? Yeah. So one of the things that I do, even from my initial call is if I'm going to see a couple and I see a mixture, I see families, I see couples, I see individuals. Mm. And of course, like when you have an individual, it's usually like, I am reaching out to you because there are some changes that I want to make, or maybe there's some insight that I'm looking to, you know, have about myself and maybe some of my behaviors or thought processes. But with couples, it can be more complicated as you identified. And, you know, from that initial phone call, I do encourage both people to be on the call because I do want to get an assessment of, are you both in a place that you are hoping to work on this? And, Mm -hmm. you know, when I say work on this, I'm not necessarily saying like working on keeping the relationship together, because in fact, you know, maybe the best thing is working on ways to part but part in a respectful manner and caring way. So, you know, not all couples therapy has the goal of repairing the relationship. There are a whole bunch of different things that people want to work on and different approaches that we can take to get there. But I am looking for, are both of you up for the process and willing to be part of the journey? Because, you know, when there is a lot of resistance on one person's part, then it's really, really difficult to make any sort of movement. Um, doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's impossible. And I and I do still work with couples where there are you know different levels of commitment, but the hope is that from both people, there's at least some buy-in. And you know, if there's not, we take the first couple of sessions slow. And it's really just, you know, to begin with, with all couples, you know, therapy. It's, it's about kind of understanding the couple, understanding their story, understanding, you know, what their goals are for the future and, you know, what they're kind of noticing in the relationship right now. And for a lot of the people who are resistant, just kind of taking it slow in the beginning and building that rapport can help them come around enough that there's some buy-in and then, you know, progress can be made. Absolutely. And it reminds me of the phrase that I used to hear as a teacher is they don't care what you know and until they know that you care. And that's so important to take it slow and really realize that it just takes some time to get to know someone and to just try it. Because I think it's so important if you really care about someone, whether you decide to stay together or not, that you just take that time to say, let's try this. Mm -hmm. Just be open because some people are so resistant to talking to someone else. And it's pretty much my favorite thing to do. I'm like, let's talk about everything, (laughs) you know? So it's just, but some people are very resistant to having someone, you know, have that outside perspective. Yes. And thank you so much for sharing that quote. That was actually, that was beautiful. Um, and that that's like a perfect way to kind of describe the process and, you know, letting partners, when partners let one another know that they care for one another, that's important. And, you know, mm-hmm. going to therapy doesn't always mean that there is, you know, a problem or an issue or something to be maybe solved. But sometimes couples are going to therapy to further enhance and strengthen their relationship and just also find out ways that they can maybe show up better for one another. And beyond just 
you know, partners showing that they care for one another, it's creating that therapeutic space, which is a safe and caring environment. That's so important. And just sometimes holding that space for people that in and of itself can be healing is it's an opportunity for people to just have time to talk, to process, to maybe slow down from the stresses of their everyday lives. Because sometimes there's never that opportunity to just sit Mm -hmm. down, especially once you bring kids into the picture, there's never a chance to really have a conversation without, you know, little ones getting in as well. And I, earlier you mentioned about attachment styles, and I thought that was such an important thing to say for people to learn what their attachment styles are, because it can teach you so much about how you are in a relationship and also taking like a personality test, because I recently took one of those and it was so enlightening because it made me realize that sometimes the way that you are as a person directly impacts how you are in a relationship, which seems Mm -hmm. so obvious. But then when you read about yourself and you realize, no wonder I feel this way, or no wonder I need this. Like for me, um, when I learned about the love languages, I was like, oh, I am a words of affirmation type person. I Uh need uh words of affirmation, Um, which is really hard if you follow the four agreements, because he says, you know, you can't take everything personal. And I'm like, no, give me all the positivity. You know, but I just think it's so important to learn more about yourself because that impacts exactly how you approach that particular relationship, depending on what type of person they are. So have you found that there are sometimes some couples that you can see on the outside, like, "Mm, they really have such differing personalities. I'm not sure that this can work. Or do you take that bias out completely and just you know, work with them in the best way possible. Yeah. So I, I approach everything from a place of curiosity and a completely Mm -hmm. non-judgmental stance, which I think is so important and, you know, letting people reveal themselves to me over time and what works for them, because, you know, everyone has their own goals and their own view of what a strong and satisfying relationship looks like. Mm -hmm. And your point about, you know, taking these tests, whether it's like love languages or the attachment styles. And, you know, that's so, so important because it's self-awareness. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be, oh, I learned something new about myself. Sometimes it could just be like validating or affirming like, oh yeah, like that I, I, this is what I thought about myself. And in fact, yes, it is true. So you don't necessarily always learn something completely new, but it can be affirming to, you know, have that belief about yourself confirmed by some sort of assessment and, um, you know, being able to one, have that understanding about yourself and how you might show up in a relationship is helpful. And beyond that, it's understanding who your partner is and how they show up in the relationship and being able to respond to one another in ways that are being read as caring and responsive and safe and secure. And like, you know, with regards to love languages, it's not about your love language, your specific love language, but it's about showing your partner you care in their love language, which Mm -hmm. so many people don't necessarily realize, even just bringing that into the therapy space can be extremely helpful. Um, And to your point about, 
you know, looking at maybe personalities and matches and, and overall, I guess, compatibility, you know, where it's really, really important for couples to be closely aligned is when it comes to things like value systems and overarching worldviews. So kind of those more deep, deep components of who we are at our core. And, you know, while a lot of people think, oh, it's opposites that attract, you know, that's a common misconception. It's actually birds of a feather that flock together. So mm-hmm. we do like people who we, we do get along with better. We, we get along with people better if we have these similar worldviews. Now that doesn't mean that we need to be carbon copies of our partner. And in fact, our relationships can be further enhanced if we have different interests and we have different hobbies because we can learn from one another, which leads to self-expansion and expanding our horizons. But yes, when it comes to those core value systems, that's where it's really important for partners to be aligned. And over time, we grow. And some partners grow together and some partners, you know, may grow apart. So it's about understanding that process. And I think along with that same mindset, when you said earlier to understanding what your partner wants as well, that is so, so important for that other partner to make sure that they are paying attention to what that other person wants as well. Because I think sometimes the problems in relationships that I've heard a lot of my friends say is they'll, they'll say, you know, my partner doesn't listen. My partner, I I literally tell that person exactly what I want and they still don't complete that, or they still don't follow through with that. And then others say that they try everything to be the perfect partner Mm -hmm. for their loved one. And I think it's just making sure that the partner that you are with, that both sides actually want to come together and make it work. Because sometimes some people think, well, I am doing everything. Like I once talked to someone who was struggling in their relationship and the husband was not he was fixing all of the other things. He was, you know, like there was a problem inside the relationship, but he was fixing it in ways of like, you know, making dinner or, you know, cleaning the house or something. And, you know, she said, it's really great that we painted the car, but the car is broken. Mm. It's really great that we put new tires on the car. That's awesome. But the car isn't running. We need to work on fixing the actual vehicle instead of just making it look pretty. And I think that's so insightful because it's like when you're working on something, you need to make sure that you're not fixing it in the wrong way or not necessarily the wrong way, but you know. In a way that's not, you know, more superficial and, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of things that I want to say about that is like, I think that that is a difference between maybe some deeper work and skills-based work and both have a place, both can enhance a relationship. And, you know, too often I do hear people that, you know, will tell me, you know, I've been in couples therapy and my clinician is just suggesting date night, date night, more quality time. And like, look, that is wonderful. Like date nights are great and more quality time is great, but that can cannot be all that it is in Mm -hmm. in many cases, you know, some, it might just be quality time is the issue, but a lot of times it's about spending time together. Sure. And there might be like some skills-based things that you can do, but that maybe just be putting a bandaid on a deeper 
problem and it's yes. kind of down to identify what that issue may be. Now, back to the example that you just provided, um, you know, I just want to make it clear that like, you know, this, this person who may be making dinner um, and, and, you know, doing all of these things, they may genuinely be, be viewing this as like, yes, I am addressing the issues. I am working on the problem. Their mm-hmm. partner, on the other hand, may be viewing that as like, well, why are you doing all of these like superfluous things? And we're not really digging deep. So neither person is wrong. And both people may be like, I am showing up to this relationship in a way that makes sense, in a way that I can support and care for my partner, but they're just kind of misaligned in that moment about what Mm -hmm. they're viewing the problem is and how they're choosing to address it. And that's why sometimes having a neutral third party there to kind of help them, you know, see the other person's perspective and help them problem solve together as partners, that can be so, so helpful and just kind of moving the needle. Yes. as And of course, that both parties are willing to look at the problem and then make it work. Like if they say, okay, I can see your perspective. I can see your perspective. Okay. Now let's make it come together because yes. so often I've seen where like, you know, some people lay it out and the other person is just not willing to budge. And I think, you know, what is it going to take for you to budge before the person just walks away? Because they care about you. You know, do you care enough about them to make those changes that are necessary? Right. And I love how you phrase that. I can, you know, see your perspective and it doesn't mean couples do not need to agree with one another at all times. And in fact, you'll find that there are people that have completely different views on a particular issue and Mm -hmm. they may not, they may never see eye to eye and that is okay, but it's about the validation. It's about the acknowledgement of the other person's perspective, the other person's belief, the other person's point of view. Mm -hmm. Especially just looking at their perspective is an acknowledging that it exists is so important, especially for people who do that naturally as people pleasers, which is not a great way to be as a former people <laughs> right. pleaser myself, but it's just so important to look at someone else and really care enough about them to say, okay, what are some things that you really need? Let me see if I can do that. Because I've also heard the perspective one time that it said some people receive a certain level of love in their life. And when they get to that level, that is all that they are able to give. Not that they can't give more, but that's all that they've learned and where other people are just on a different level. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, does the one person go down to the other person's level or does the other person rise up or do they somehow kind of come to some agreement where they're both moving. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I think that, you know, it's oh, our, our, our experience with our families, our experiences mm-hmm. with our friends, our previous relationships, like all of these events make imprints on us and Mm -hmm. affect the way that we view relationships, view the world, the way that we express love. And I don't necessarily think that there is a finite amount, but it's, it's about maybe like love is being expressed in different ways. Mm -hmm. And it's about, you know, 
getting an understanding of how your partner is expressing their love, which sometimes can be mismatched or sometimes may not be read by the other person. So it's about identifying like, this is how my partner is showing me that they care and also identifying your needs and expressing them to your partner. You know, this is how I need to be loved and this is how I need to be cared for. And it's about maybe you know, pushing yourself, each person out of what may be their pre-existing patterns to be able to meet their partner's needs. So what would you suggest in a relationship where one party is just unwilling to budge to meet that other partner's needs? Like if one person really wants, let's say words of affirmation, and the other partner is just not providing that, even though they've asked and they've asked, like, do you have any suggestions for them to try? Or do you really think it just has to be that both parties are willing to make it work? So this is where I feel like, and it's such a great question, where it's not going to be skills-based, it's going to be deeper. Mm. Why Mm. is a really important, you know, piece here? Because I feel like, you know, in that particular situation, if you were to come up with like some sort of goal, like, okay, next week, I want you to say five nice things about your partner or, you know, say five different types of words of affirmation so that you can address their particular love language. Um, One, that's now kind of giving them, you know, a prescription of what they should be doing. And that may not feel authentic to the person who's now being told that they need to do it. And Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to be read by their partner as authentic because now you kind of have, well, is my partner only saying these things to me because they were told to do so. So to me, there's, there's, you know, coming up with like a plan that's, you know, behavioral in that way, I don't think would be effective. I think this comes to a point where it's necessary to address the why. The why of why does a partner need words of affirmation? You know, where is that coming from? And also, is there something deeper there um, in, you know, is a partner feeling unloved or uncared for? The partner who's not giving words of affirmation, why is there resistance? Where is that coming from? And, you know, not to get too Freudian, but, you know, is for either partner, is this coming from something in their childhood? Is this mm-hmm. maybe they didn't hear words of affirmation and, um, you know, maybe they were never showed love in that way, which is okay. But, you know, how is that affecting the way in which they're now approaching relationships? So getting the why from both of them is important to get a better understanding and, and you know, self-awareness for each each of them, and then having them each talk through why it's important for their partner to show up in that way in real time. Well, and you're absolutely right when it comes to the love languages, because I've heard that whatever love language you have as an adult, it's what you didn't receive as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so it's so true because you're constantly searching for those different pieces of love. And so I'm like, is there anyone out there who literally has gotten all the love languages and they just grow up to be a fully functioning adult that's totally fine with everything? Because I would love to meet that person. (laughs) (laughs) And I Um, think people get very stuck, you know, like when it comes to love languages, they might say, like, okay, you know, I am a, you know, gift giving person or, you know, my, mine is 
tokens of appreciation or gifts. Mm -hmm. And like, this is how I receive love. This is how I receive love. And it's not quite so categorical. And in fact, if you go to, you know, Gary Chapman has, he's the one that came up with the the love languages. Um, If you go to his website, they do have the, the quiz that you can take to identify your love languages. And, you know, now they give you kind of a percentage of maybe you're 38% of this and 12% of this. So it shows you that it's not one or the other. Mm-hmm. That there are, you can look at maybe your top three or your top two. Um, and it's also important that people realize that this can change over time based mm. on your growth, your personal journey, your lived experiences. So it's not just an, I identified this once by taking a quiz 10 years ago, here we go, I'm set. And also, um, you know, there is some research that shows that, you know, there are, with, with, with factor analysis and statistics that, you know, there, there may be something to these love languages, but there isn't a whole lot of empirical support, you know, for them. So it's great. And I think it's definitely something that partners should talk about, but I don't think that we should get so stuck on there's five, there's right. five, the only ways that you can show me love. And if there are other things that you're identifying in your relationship, if there's six, if there's 25, great, like, let's talk about them. And, you know, I I don't want people to feel too constrained by, all right, these are the categories that we have read about that exist. And that is all that there is. Right. And just kind of getting stuck in that box because so often people want to say, well, I am this way and that's Mm -hmm. the way that I am and I'm not changing. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. You know, it's identifying Flexibility and adaptability are so, so important, not only for individuals, but, you know, within partnerships as well. Definitely. And I love that you mentioned communication because I think it's a great segue into something that I am so excited to talk about that you did in the month of January. And it was called the Speed Friending Project. And, you know, I you talked about how you started it because there's that epidemic of loneliness and what so many people that you've interacted with come into therapy with finding connections as an adult. And I absolutely resonate with that so much because especially as an adult, it is so, so hard to find those meaningful connections with people. You know, it's like, where do you meet adult friends? Like, are, do you go to a bar and just start talking to somebody that you hope to become friends with? So right. I was, you know, it's just really hard. And, you know, I've even heard that there's an app where you can kind of, you know, swipe right or left when you're meeting somebody. And I had tried it once. And then I thought, wait a minute, am I just looking at their looks to see if they look like a friend? Like, can I just get the qualities? (laughs) Yeah. Like, let me swipe right or left on their qualities. Because I felt like suddenly I was, you know, looking for a friend date and, you know, not in that way. So I would love to hear about this speed friending project and how it worked and, you know, what inspired you to get started on that? Yes. So this was such an amazing experience and I highly, highly recommend people, um, everyone kind of try this on their own if it's something that they're interested in. And I was, you know, inspired by my own personal experiences as well as those of my clients. And, you know, I have a lot of individuals who come into session talking about wanting to expand their social circles to form more authentic connections and the difficulty that they have you know doing that and this is something that i've experienced myself as well and you know you know post pandemic 
it, it's even more challenging where so many people are now working from home and not in a workplace mm-hmm. environment and interacting with people. And I myself am in private practice. So it's really just me, you know, doing virtual sessions by myself. I mean, I have my dog around, but <laughs> she's, yeah. she's wonderful, but um, you know, it's, it's about trying to create connections with other people. And if you look at you know, the, the advice that's out there online, um, it's about, you know, downloading some of these apps, which can be very similar to speed da- uh, to, um, sorry, to, to dating on dating apps, which mm-hmm. I've, I've had that experience as well. And you can't, can either love it or hate it sometimes both. And, um, you know, that, that can be challenging, as you mentioned, it's like, well, what are we really matching based upon and how well is the profile accurately representing a person? And the other idea that, you know, is constantly being bounced around is meetup groups. And mm-hmm. I myself have gone to meetup groups. I have also hosted meetup groups and they are really, really wonderful. But depending upon your geographic location, it can be hard to find a group that resonates with you. And something that I've struggled with is you know, in in my area, there are a lot of groups for, you know, people in tech or real estate professionals Mm -hmm. or people 50 plus or single women. And, you know, I am in the suburbs, but live very close to New York City. And a lot of the groups are New York City. And, you know, I really, I want to find people who are out here in the suburbs as well. So just trying to find a group was a real challenge. So, I wanted to come up with a way to basically make authentic connections and also one-on-one connections versus, you know, meeting large groups of people because I wanted to be able to have meaningful conversations and to really learn about the other individual and go beyond the, hey, what do you do for work? And what are your favorite hobbies? But I wanted to get to know who these people are at their core and just get a better understanding others. So I, I challenged myself for the month of January, every day I was going to go on one friend date. And the way that I kind of did this was I started on social media during the month of December, basically putting out a call (laughs) for people. And I just kind of posted, Hey guys, like, you know, this is, this is what I'm going to do for the month of January if you are, you know, one of my Facebook friends, I already know you, you know, some closer than others, you know, cause like some of my friends are like people I see all the time. And some people might've been, you know, people who I haven't seen since high school. So I already know you. So I'm not necessarily looking for my pre-existing friend group, but like, if you have some really great friends that you think that I am likely to get along with, send me up on a date. And I wanted to make it, cause I know that's a big ask for people. So I wanted to make it easy for them. I wanted to be flexible in terms of timing and location. I also wanted to keep it open so that I could meet people from all over. So I basically created a calendar where people can sign up, you know, and, and the calendar would basically block off a date once someone had signed up for that day. And, um, It would be a 30 minute to an hour virtual date. And that could be for coffee, for tea, for drinks, sharing a meal together, just to chat, whatever it is based upon the time and what people feel comfortable with. And, um, you know, I started out with having, you know, blind friend dates 
And then I had to get a little bit more creative when I was kind of filling out my schedule. And I just started reaching out to either people that I know who I've lost touch with over time or um, people who I've met in some form or another. Maybe we like used to work together, but we really never got to know too much about one another. And I wanted to learn more about them as a person. So I started filling up my calendar with kind of, you know, other people. And I wound up by the end of December having 31 dates on the calendar for all 31 days of the month of January. Wow. Which is so impressive to think that you know, just spending time 30 minutes to an hour every single day and filling up that calendar. That's just so intriguing. And did you have a lot of people who seemed, or was there anyone that was like, um, no, thanks. I I'm good. But then, and then the other side where people were like, hell yes, let's do this. I would love to have a date. Let's go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. So <laughs> it was, it was, um, it was an experience. <laughs> mm. it, it required me to be super vulnerable. It was definitely a challenge. You know, in the beginning, when I put the link up there on social media, you know, I, I didn't get hits for a while. And then I had a lot of people commenting under the post, like, this is such an awesome idea. Oh my gosh. Yes. And then, oh, okay. Well, where are all these clicks? Like, where are the people? So yeah. you know, then I started reaching out to people saying like, can you set me up with someone? And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, sure. And then they identified friends, had their friends sign, you know, sign up. And then when I started reaching out to other people, I just started going into, you know, different social media apps and like identifying people who I was connected to, but didn't really um, know that well. And some of my messages were totally left on read and it was difficult. It was difficult. And I sent out text messages to some people that I lost contact with years ago. And I don't know, maybe they changed their number. Maybe they didn't, maybe they don't want to pursue a friendship. I don't know. So again, it really put me in a vulnerable position, but it was a learning experience. It was a growth experience. And look, you know, not everyone is going to be your match either for partnership or for friendship. And, you know, not every relationship is going to turn into a deep friendship. Also, I had to be realistic that, you know, I didn't want to personalize everything, which is, which is challenging, but, you know, sometimes people just don't have the time or the space and like they've got their own things going on and that's totally okay. So, you know, I, I put the invites out there. A lot of people took me up on it. Some people didn't and that's totally okay. And, you know, I also had some wonderful people who agreed to kind of be like, you know, in the queue that they were going to fill in for dates that if something happened to my, you know, first planned date that day, they would kind of jump in. And I'm glad that I had those people because I did have um, some people who canceled last minute and like totally fine. Things come up. We have busy lives and different priorities. So I have people that uh, canceled last minute. I even had a no show. So I did wind up going on 31 dates in the month of January, but I did have, you know, I think three days where I wound up doubling up on dates and three days where I just, the dates never happened. And I think it's such a cool idea for those people who really want to make those genuine connections and to learn more about others. Because so often 
and our lives were just rushing, rushing, rushing. And like you said, there were people who left you on red. And I think we've all experienced being left on red and you kind of immediately take it personal. Mm-hmm. Then I've also said, mm, there have been times when I have just not been in the space to be able to respond. Either my kids are pulling my attention. I've got a lot of work things going on, or maybe I just need to take that mental break. But then the person who's sending the message kind of feels that vulnerability as you were talking about, like, oh, you know, did I say something wrong? Did Mm -hmm. I, you know, like they want to point the finger at themselves. And I think it's so important that for what I learned just from what you're saying is just to say, it's okay that people do not respond. And it's okay that some people cancel and some people showed up. You started something that you were interested in and made it work. I think that's one of the most important lessons that I see from that experience. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, like there is that tendency to not only, you know, personalize because we want to understand people's motivations. We want to understand the cause of behaviors and we can catastrophize and we can go from like, oh, they didn't respond. They must not like me. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, Maybe they don't want to go on a friend date with me. I don't know. But then also maybe they're just busy. Maybe they read the message. And in fact, um, you know, I have done that before where maybe I'm in the middle of doing something and a text message comes in and I open it, but I'm so focused on what I'm doing, even if it's something like folding the laundry or like if it's a chore that I'm doing, and then all of a sudden I just get pulled into the next thing and I forget the fact that I had opened the text message because now that alert is not even there. So it's, you know, I don't know what was going on. And with a couple of people, I did follow up and say, hey, did you get my message? So, you know, I, I put myself out there and sometimes it did lead to responses. Sometimes it didn't, and that's okay. And I reconnected with old people through this project, like people that I've lost touch with. Um, mm-hmm. I learned more about people that I maybe didn't know that well. So we now have formed different relationships. And I also got to meet a lot of really cool new people. And I feel like the coolest thing about this was that, I don't know, maybe I just like got into this space of like, it's cool. I'm just going to put myself out there. So I found that like during that month, I just started taking more risks. I went to a drop-in improv class. I mean, I like improv anyway, but it's always something that makes me nervous, but I Mm. I went going to a new drop-in improv class. I wound up signing up online for like a creativity class. So I wound up kind of just like being in more social situations, both in person and online. I wound up having a call with another clinician about business related things. And just from the area code that she was calling me from, I'm like, I think you live by me. And we started just talking and we started discussing the possibility of meeting up in person for a, for a coffee date. So it, it put me in this kind of just groove of, you know what, I'm going to put myself out there. Let's see if something comes of it, which was a really cool space to be in. Oh, that is so cool to think about that literally with you taking some fearful steps and putting yourself out there, it Mm -hmm. made you then inspired to do more fearful steps. And so it's like taking that first initial step is the hardest, but then it had so many positive outcomes for you. And so that's just so incredibly cool to think of doing this experiment. Like I'm really interested in doing it for myself because the fact that 
meeting other people and learning more about them, but then also learning things about yourself of how, wow, I stepped out of my comfort zone. I, you know what? I think I'm going to step another box out of my comfort zone. And then the next thing you know, you're like way past your comfort zone. And you're like, well, yes. I'm in a totally new territory. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so cool. And I mean, I learned things, like you said, about myself, about other people. I got some great restaurant recommendations. <laughs> like, mm. just, you know, it's cool. And I got to learn about, you know, one of the things that I did touch on with a lot of people is how do they form friends? What mm. are, you know, I, this wasn't, it was very, very organic conversation. I did start with a lot of people like, yeah, the purpose of this is to make connections. And this is why I was motivated to do this. So, you know, maybe the first 10 to 15 minutes of conversation did focus on how challenging it can be to form friendships as an adult. But then after that, it was just kind of free flowing conversation. And it was, we touched on all sorts of different topics. It was, it was really wonderful. Oh, and I absolutely agree because when we had our friend date, I was like, this is so neat. Like we had such a great time. And I, I feel like I could have just talked for hours because we just had so much in common and the conversation really flowed. And I think going back to what you said earlier about making sure that you're meshing well with the right person is that sometimes we think we have to be for everyone and we don't mm -hmm. have to, you know, like there are people out there that might not like us or might not get our personality. And I always go back to one of my favorite quotes is you may be the juiciest, tastiest peach. And there are some people who don't like peaches. <laughs> like, I love that. I love and, um, that. Yeah. And it's so true. It's so true. And that, that is okay. And I think that you know, sometimes there's a lot of like anxiety surrounding that and maybe just kind of like sitting in that and getting to a place of acceptance of like, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea and that is fine. And look, I, I mean, you know, the friend date that we had does stand out to me because like, I feel like we got to that space of just like, we just jumped right into conversation. Yes. Like the, moment, the moment we signed online, I was like, oh, this feels like an old friend. Like there's this like level of comfort and you know, sometimes that happened with other people. It was a slower build and that's fine. It doesn't mean that it's any better or worse. It was just a different experience. Um, you know, and each, each experience was so unique and that's what I took it for. It was an experience. And, you know, I am fortunate. I got to meet people from all over. Uh, I did speak to people that were in different countries. And I did also speak to a lot of people that are in my geographic location. So we were able to have already gone on a few second in-person dates. Mm. So I'm trying to maintain connections with people virtually that aren't close to me, like, you know, physically close in terms of proximity and uh, go on second, third dates with them. And I'm also trying to, you know, follow up with people that are close and meet them in real life, because that's, that's always great to do too. And something that I am really craving. Yes. Especially that energy connection, because there are people that you meet that you just feel like you become instant best friends. You're mm -hmm. like, where have you been all my life? And it's <laughs> yes. so, yeah, it's just so cool as an adult, especially because like you said, the reason you started this is because of the fact that people come in with that loneliness and isolation, especially after COVID and especially after working from home. Like I'm a stay at home mom during the day and I work from home. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, I just want to be around people. Like I know there are people out there who really like their alone time and I am one of them, but I feel energized 
when I have conversations with others or when I'm with others, I'm like, I need that space. I need that time with others to really rejuvenate myself. Like it's my self-care practice is spending time with others. <laughs> yes. Yes. That connection can be so, so important. And it's really important for everyone to find that level of balance that works for them, you know, in terms of, you know, taking time for themselves to prioritize, you know, alone time and also to prioritize socialization and being with others and creating those in-person connections and everyone is different and understanding what works best for you is, is imperative. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And what do you think, I know you've talked about so many great things that you gained from this experience, but what do you think is the most important lesson that you've learned? I think that the most important lesson is just the incredible power of human connection and being able to form that through more in-depth conversations. So Mm. it's kind of getting to that space of really understanding who another person is, which really involves like that give and take in conversation. So it's that, you know, being able to share, but also that active listening piece. Oh, yes. Because so often people love to talk about themselves, which I do too. So no shame, (laughs) but it's so cool to also learn about someone else because then you realize that, you know, it makes me think of what my sister said to me years and years ago. That's just stuck out to me. We were driving along somewhere and she said, do you ever think about the fact that every single person has a different story? Oh, I love and that. it's, yeah. And it was like, it just felt so like at the time, I think I was young and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah they do. But then as you <laughs> grow up, I was like, wow, it is really true. There's so many different experiences And I'm the type of person I'm like, let me hear it. I want to hear what your experience is. I feel like I should read more memoirs based on what I just said. Right, right. But it's it's just so interesting. It's so interesting. It's so unique. And like that really, really resonates with me because I even find that, you know, when I'm driving somewhere or like a new town or an area that I haven't been, I'll just see people on the street or in front of their house. And I'm just like, I wonder who they are. Like, I wonder what, I wonder like what they do, like, what are they passionate about? And it's just, you know, it's wanting to hear other people's experiences. Yeah. I feel like when I go on a plane, sometimes I'm always like, okay, where are you going? You know, you look like you're dressed for work. And one time I heard when I was in high school, I took a writing course and they said, if you ever want inspiration for your writing, just go and sit somewhere and listen to people. And I've never done it because, you know, I've people watched before, which is super awesome to do, Uh but I love the idea of just sitting somewhere and listening to what other people talk about, not in a, in a creepy way. Like, I don't want to say like, I'm just going to go and sit by you with like a microphone and be like, sorry, I'm just recording this for my podcast. Could you keep going? You know, but I just think like listening, you know, now I sound kind of creepy to say it, but I mean, you know, just hearing other stories. It's just like wanting to be in a room where it's just kind of like, like, I, I want to hear like all about your experiences. I want to know your story. And, you know, it's, it's even like, I have a new appreciation for like dating apps and dating. Like I, I am, you know, I I'm married. I I'm in a committed partnership, but I'm just kind of like, you know, at the time when I was going through, you know, online dating and meeting people on the apps, 
it was a different, I was in a different frame of mind and there was like a lot of anxiety and stress. And like, truthfully, there, there, there is with the whole process of dating, but now I'm just like, oh, like, I wish I could have had, you know, the insight that I have now and right, like hindsight's 2020 and just like really have just enjoyed the process and the experience and really have known that like, not every person is going to be for me and I'm not going to be for every person. And that is okay. But like, oh, wow. Like this is just like a time that we have set apart to be with one another to just like learn about one another. And that that's cool too. Yeah. And making the time for it, because sometimes, like you said, when people would feel like they were too busy or they had too many things going on, it's like instantly right there. You kind of know, okay, you know, I totally understand that, you know, maybe you're not my person because I want somebody who is not necessarily willing to change their schedule, but just make the time because sometimes there's friends that you really want to see, but they just never make the time. And then Mm -hmm. you'll see like, Oh, I, I know you're doing a lot, but can we just like have like a five minute conversation on the phone just to connect and have that? Because I, it's so important to continue it because sometimes I get, it's not, I've totally said it before, but I always feel uh, about those conversations where you say, Hey, how are you doing? Great. Miss you. Hope to see you soon. And then that's it. It Right. right It's almost kind of just that like drop by, like just letting you know. And it's just, but let's, let's, you know, prioritize the relationship a little bit more. And like, look, you know, we all have things going on in our life and there's going to be times when we can devote more or less energy to the various relationships in our life, Mm -hmm. but, and that's totally fine. And, you know, maybe it's important to kind of set that expectation with like, you know, things you're really busy with work or with other things that I'm dealing with in my personal life. So I'm not going to be as available as I usually am, but I do miss you. But then when we do have that opportunity or that time to kind of, you know, make sure that we save space and energy to be able to devote to that relationship. Yes. And be willing to understand if like the other person, if you really care about them to not forget about them, because sometimes I have been the type to maybe not respond to a message a time or two. And (laughs) my friend knows that. And she'll send me another message like, Hey, I know you're not going to see this, but I really want to see you. Let's get together. And she makes sure to make the extra effort. And I appreciate that so much because, yeah, because sometimes I found myself, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I found that like, I was only hanging out with people at a time when they were asking me. And I was like, Brianna, you can ask people to hang out. You don't have to wait for them to make the, you know, the event. And I was like, oh, you know, just having that sudden realization because I would feel lonely and think, wait a minute, did I ask anyone to hang out? Okay. Well then it's me. So great. Like that's like insight that you had about yourself, which like led to a change, like more connections. But I also love what you shared about your friends regarding like, you know, she reached out again and, you know, it's, everyone has like some people are texters, some people are, you know, want to be involved in phone conversation. Some people need the reminder text. We're all different. So if we kind of approach the world through our lens and, and only understand people from like our point of view, we need to be flexible and realize that people are different and what works for us might not work for them and vice versa. 
Exactly. And just knowing that if you care enough, like we said earlier about the relationship, you're willing to do what it takes to mesh well with that person. Because sometimes I've also had those friends that kind of get annoyed with my lack of being able to respond on time. And I'm like, look, a text message is like a message out into the universe. That's like, Hey, I'm sending this to you. I eventually want you to respond. And I'm the person I, my friends have said this. I think it's hilarious. I may take a little while to respond, but I literally respond line by line to your message. My friend's like, I don't need you to respond to everything. And I'm like, yes, I do. I need to respond to everything. I value your message. I am not going to rush this with like, you know, a half-baked response at some point. I am going to like sit down and read everything that's going on and really like genuinely respond with all of my thoughts to like carry that conversation forward. And it may not be on your timeframe. It's going to look different but I care about your message. So it's all about like that adaptability and that realization that, you know, we do have different approaches and that's okay. Yeah. And I'm the crazy one, not, not in a bad way, crazy, but I will literally, (laughs) if it's a long message, I will literally copy and paste it into the message and then like delete as I respond. I I I can't, I can't stand to, because sometimes I have sent a message to someone and I've said like multiple things and they'll respond to one thing. And I'm like, um, did, did, did you see the, the other part? Do I need to like copy and paste? Yeah. Uh, well, this has been such a great conversation and I am so glad that we not only had our friend date, but then we had another chance to talk today. So I would love to know where can listeners learn more about you and your work, follow you, share all the love. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So my personal website, which has the links to all of my social media accounts is marissatcohen.com. And that's Marissa with one S. So marissatcohen.com. And if you're interested in learning more about my therapeutic practice, my therapeutic practice is Embracing Change Marriage and Family Therapy. And that website is embracingchangemft.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. And I hope that everyone likes, shares, follows all the good things to learn more about you and your work. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to setting up another friend date with you soon. Yes, definitely. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Living Your Most Badass Life podcast. Please be sure to leave a review. Learn more about our community at badassbookbesties.com. Follow me on Facebook at the Bookaholic Besties podcast and on Instagram at badassbookbestie. If you know someone amazing that you'd like for me to interview or have any badass ideas, I'd love to hear it. Send me a DM or email me at mostbadasslifepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, besties, always keep your bookshelf and beer glass full.